Hello, and welcome to the Anxiety Rx podcast, a show created by an anxiety specialist and neuroscientist, me, that offers unique, practical, and actionable advice to help you understand what anxiety truly is and exactly what you can do to empower yourself to resolve it. I'm your host, Dr. Russell Kennedy, an MD who suffered with crippling anxiety for 30-plus years, and traditional therapy from psychiatrists and psychologists really didn't help me feel better. And I also didn't like being on psych meds. In 2013, after burning out and leaving medical practice, I came to the conclusion that if I was ever going to heal my anxiety, I would have to do it myself. And that's exactly what I did, drawing from experiences with psychedelics and holistic healing and combining those modalities with my scientific academic background in medicine, neuroscience, and developmental psychology. Here on the Anxiety Arcs podcast, I offer a distinctly non-traditional and non-medical approach to understanding and healing anxiety. So despite the fact I'm trained as a physician, in no way is what I say and suggest to be construed as medical advice because none of the ways I use to resolve anxiety has anything to do with traditional allopathic medicine. From my own healing, I've created a distinctly non-traditional understanding and approach that helps thousands of people from all over the world understand and relieve their chronic anxiety. So if you're ready, let's get into today's episode. On this episode, I'm going to talk about how you can't heal from anxiety or really anything, personality disorder, depression, eating disorders, anything, until you see your own innocence, until you see that you are not guilty. You grew up in an environment where you didn't get your needs met. And I don't want to sound like it's, oh, you poor you or whatever. But basically, you grew up as a sensitive person who didn't get their needs met. And what human beings do when they don't get their needs met is they find ways, usually maladaptive ways, of getting their needs met. So if you don't get your needs met in a healthy, adaptive way with attuned, attached parents and caregivers, you will find a way of getting your needs met otherwise. And then you will feel bad about the way you got your needs met. And I, I run into this quite a bit with my female clients who wound up having sex too young, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old, even younger than that sometimes, because they and they guilt and shame themselves for being quote unquote promiscuous or having sex too early or whatever and they guilt and blame and shame themselves for the rest of their lives when really if they were getting their needs met at home in a caring loving attached family they wouldn't feel the need to go out and get their physical emotional needs met in a maladaptive way and women hold a tremendous amount of guilt over that. And some men too. I, I, I know of men who wound up having sex too early as well because it was a way of feeling close. It was a way of feeling connected to someone. And then there is this guilt. There's a lot of guilt and shame about sexuality in human beings. It's just wired into us that sexuality is somehow shameful and I don't know where this comes from. I don't know where the neuroscience behind this is, but there's definitely something in us. Because if you look at children who are sexually abused or emotionally abused or sexually abused, they know, like they know that there's something not right about this. They really do. I think there is something that's really, you know, almost guttural about human beings and sexuality. And 
it carries a lot of shame and carries a lot of blame. So I'm not just putting everything onto women. Men have sex too early as well. So, and they feel guilty over it. Maybe not overtly. Maybe they're kind of like proud of it in a way. But really, it's, you wouldn't go outside of your normal childhood, quote unquote, to have sex, to do an adult activity, really, if there wasn't something that wasn't quite right. You know, I don't see in my practice, in my medical practice, when I, when I used to practice as a medical doctor, I didn't see a lot of young, young people engaging in sex really early who didn't have family issues. I did see quite a few people engage in sex really early who did have family issues, who had an alcoholic parent or an abusive parent. So I don't want to jump out of the gate right on a sex right off the bat, but it is one of the things that human beings feel the most guilt and shame about. And one of the, the things that I put in my book and one of the, the acronyms that I'm most proud of is this jabs, creating these jabs at ourselves. You know, judgment, self-judgment, abandonment, self-abandonment, self-blame, and self-shame, jabs. Judgment, abandonment, blame, and shame. And we do these things because we don't get our needs met as children. We start doing things that we're not proud of in a way just to get those needs met. We'll find a way. Kids are very industrious about finding a way of getting their needs met. And this is what I'm saying about if you can't see your innocence in that, if you can't see that you were an innocent being, an innocent, authentic being who had to go outside of the normal adaptive ways of getting your needs met as a child because say your parents weren't around, say you were a latchkey kid, say your father was an alcoholic and you didn't really feel like you were connected to him, say you had a parental mismatch where you really didn't feel like you were part of your family. There's a number of cases that I see of, of one kid in the family who feels completely isolated and the other kid feels okay. And that kid who feels isolated is generally the most sensitive kid in the family. There's a, a saying that I love, which is the trauma and drama of a family will land squarely in the heart of its most sensitive child. And I think that's what happens to us. I think we were born sensitive. Everybody that I see with chronic anxiety, virtually everyone that I see, is born a sensitive individual. And I do think sensitivity is genetic. I think it is part of our temperament, and I think it is genetic. So we are genetically just really, really sensitive people, and some more sensitive than others. Like I look at my wife, Cynthia, and we have to have every light out in the bedroom at night to sleep. I can't have a I can't have my computer on. She'll spot it. Like she'll spot it like 15 minutes in a light set. It's like there's something communicating with Mars, is what she'll say in the corner, which is her her speak for there's a light on somewhere. Now I can't really see it because it doesn't bother me, but light really bothers her. She's a very sensitive person. So I think we're all born sensitive as human beings. It's just naturally how we are but some of us are born more sensitive than others and those those of us who are born more sensitive if we are raised in a loving caring nurturing environment we'll do fine we won't feel the need to go outside of our family of origin for our attachment needs at least initially at least you know before like 15 years old now if we don't get our needs met as children we will start acting out. We will start looking for ways of getting attention that may not be healthy for us. 
We will start moving into addictions, drinking too early, taking drugs too early, smoking, marijuana. Now, I don't want to sound like, you know, the parental action league here, like, don't be smoking the marijuana. But it's really important to understand that if you got your needs met as a child, you wouldn't have had to do all these things that you now, to this day, blame and shame yourself for. I want to say that again because it's really important. If you got your needs met as a child, and just good enough, they didn't have to be fantastic, but if you got your needs met as a child, you wouldn't feel the need to go out and do these things that you blame and shame yourself to this day. And once you do shame yourself to this day, it creates a tremendous amount of alarm in your system. You're split from the inside. You know, my mentor in developmental psychology, Gordon Newfeld, says that all anxiety is separation anxiety. And I add on to that, that it, yeah, it's mostly separation from yourself because when you judge yourself, you essentially abandon yourself. You blame yourself, blame yourself, you shame yourself, you split internally. So your authentic self that you would have formed into had you had your needs met appropriately didn't form. So you form into what I call a reactive self. So because I didn't get my needs met through my dad or I couldn't trust my love for him, I learned how to withdraw. I learned how to not trust love and not be as connected to other people as I would have liked to be. And that, and that went through my whole, most of my whole adult life, that I was afraid of love and connection because I would have this loving connection with my father, who was a very loving, caring individual, uh, but then he would go crazy. Then he would lose his mind. He would go manic or schizophrenic or whatever, and I would lose him. So the message I got in my little mind was, it's not safe to love someone because you will either lose them or you will watch them in excruciating pain. And I did watch my dad in excruciating pain, especially later on in, in life when I was in my early 20s and, and um, he was close to suicide when, when, and he eventually did commit suicide when, when uh, I was 26 and he was 52. So that template was in me that, you know, it's not safe to love somebody because you're just going to lose them or it's just, it's going to get pulled away from you. I still have this this pattern, this core belief somewhere in my head that everything's going to get taken away from me. Everything's going to get taken away from you. And it's not a very nice way of living through life. Now, in the last few years, I've certainly started to see that there's an abundance in my life. There's things that are great that are happening. I still, every once in a while, you know, more than every once in a while, have that feeling like, okay, everything's going to get taken away. And this comes from just not being secure as a child, not having that secure love with my dad when I was younger. So I always have this sense that the rug's going to get pulled out from under me. And I think a lot of us have that. A lot of us with anxiety do have that sense that there was some inconsistency in our parenting. We couldn't trust love a lot of times. So when you can't trust love, you basically are completely lost because love and connection is really the fuel that we need to live our lives and feel like we're being fulfilled, feel that we're happy. And I see this so often with my patients and just people in general, even my friends, that if you don't get those early needs met or you have a big trauma, you know, a few of my friends have had, had big traumas when they were younger and that stayed with them. And they became a reactive self. They became a defensive self. Rather than being, I mean, I mean, 
the offense self. That would be the, the flip side of that. Don't be a defensive self. Be an offensive self. Well, I don't mean to go quite that far. But just having confidence in life, just being able to know that things will turn out safely, as they mostly do, we just don't see it. And we we form this frame of reference around that things are unsafe because to, to keep ourselves safe, when there was trauma in childhood, we would have to focus on the negative. We would have to focus on the potential bad stuff. But it becomes a way of life. And Freud called it the repetition compulsion. What is normal for you, what is familiar, familiar to you in your childhood, you will unconsciously replicate that in your adulthood. So I would see in my family practice, say, a family who of alcoholics and who would find other alcoholics to become partnered with. So a woman who was the daughter of two alcoholics picked an alcoholic partner. Not on purpose, but I think we do this unconsciously. So I ask people all the time, what was normal? What was familiar to you in childhood? What was, and how are you unconsciously replicating? How is that, how is that you leaning into that? How are you sort of unconsciously going towards that in your adulthood? Because we all do it. For me, I tend to, not so much anymore, but I tend to create chaos in my life. I tend to take on too much. I tend to create and overdrive my vision, drive myself harder than I really should. Now I'm getting better at this. Yes and no. I'm getting better at this in general. But chaos was normal for me in my childhood. Chaos was normal. So I've unconsciously replicated that chaos in my adulthood. Now, that's the reason why I've been divorced twice. And, and there's a whole bunch of reasons how I create chaos in my life. Now, I don't do it so much anymore. I mean, I'm older now, so that's one way of, one way of it. But in general, I just ask people, like, what was familiar to you in childhood? And take a second to go, how is that showing up in my life today? So for me, because I couldn't trust the love of my dad, you know, I have this thing with Cynthia every once in a while. It's like, I don't know if I can really trust you. Now I know that I can consciously. Of course I can. We've been together 10 years now. But unconsciously, there's always that sense like, are you going to leave me? Are you going to treat me badly? Now she never left me. She's never treated me badly. But there is that sense that when we, get, when we get molded as children, we mold into this reactive self. Now, we can change that reactive self into a more uh, uh, authentic self, which is basically what I'm trying to do with my teachings of people, is that can we be aware of our tendencies, and when we see it, we don't have to be it. So when I see myself being hard on myself, or when I see myself, someone's asking me to do something else, another task or whatever, I can kind of say, no, you know, I can't do that until September. Whereas before, I just would have packed it all on because chaos was familiar to me. So what's familiar to you? And what are you still blaming for, blaming yourself for from your childhood? Can you find that child who had to become maybe sexually active at a young age? Can you find the child who had to become aggressive, who had to fight, who had to eat, can you find the child in you that became this reactive self to get their needs met? And then can you see that child with, with innocence? Can you see the innocence of that child and realize that that authentic child would have molded in a different way if they had their needs met? 
And I know we put a lot of emphasis on, oh, the parents, you know, the parents need to do this, the parents need to do that. And to some extent that's true, but I think there's this concept of good enough parents. Parents that are good enough, that allow you to see yourself for who you really are and support you for who you really are. So you don't have to grow into this reactive self, as I did, as many people did. You know, we can grow into this authentic version of ourselves and then we can even go back, find that place where we were still innocent and sense into that and, and, and embrace that child, embrace that innocent child. And even the things that we did quote unquote wrong or badly or whatever, we can still embrace that child too. We can't heal unless we embrace that child. And Brene Brown talks about this too. You can't change anything that you don't fully accept in yourself. And Carl Jung as well. It's the shadow work. It's all this stuff. All these great teachers are saying the same thing. Until you accept your innocence, until you stop taking jabs at yourself, until you really see that innocent child in you and see them, hear them, love them, and protect them, and show them in no uncertain terms that you and me, child, you and I, Rusty, you and I will be together forever. There's, no, there's nothing you can do. I'm talking to my younger self now. Rusty, there's nothing you can do to me that would alienate me from you. I will always be with you no matter what you say, do, think, whatever you said, thought, or did in the past, whatever. I will always be with you. There is no way that I will not be with you. I will not judge you. I will not abandon you. I will not blame you. I will not shame you. Now, this is not to say that we have, don't take responsibility but it's also finding that innocent version of ourselves because if we can go back to that innocent place and find that younger version of ourselves and say, hey, I am going to give you now what you so badly needed back then. I'm going to give you the love, acceptance, protection, gratitude, like everything that I can now. I'm going to see your innocence. I'm going to see that you're just an innocent soul who had to change, had to react based on some difficult situations, based on some difficult circumstances. And if I can see you, hear you, love you, and protect you, even in light of some of the bad things you've done, that's when you start to heal. Because if you're divided within yourself, if you're still judging, abandoning, blaming, and shaming that child in you, you will never heal. You will always be treading water. You will always be trying to find this you know, magical other, this other person that's all of a sudden going to make your life great, or this therapist is going to turn your life around. But it's you. You have to deal with it. You have to do it. It's you. You have the power. Now, we can engage other people to help us in this. Absolutely, we can, and we should. But really, if you have... 100 people around you supporting you and helping you and you're still judging, abandoning, blaming and shaming yourself, you're never going to heal. And just to be a bit hard-edged here, tough love, is that you really have to find that child in you and no matter what they did, no matter what they thought, what they said, what they did, you have to love them. The term unconditionally bugs me a little bit, but really I would prefer you have to see them, hear them, love them and protect them. Find that innocence in you, because it's in you. It's in all of us. Find that, is, find that child. Talk to them. Connect with them. That's what I talk about in the program, in, in MBRX and in my book, is ABCs, awareness. Awareness of your patterns. 
body, go into your body, go into your breath, and then have some compassionate care and connection for that child. A lot of C's in there, that was good. Compassionate care and connection for that child. And see them as innocent. Because you cannot heal until you see and really, really see and feel and feel deeply the innocence of that child. If you do not see them as innocent, you will never heal. Big pause there for a reason. We have to find the innocence of the child that lives within us. If we don't, we just won't heal. We just won't. I'm going to do more on this on, the Insta- on my Instagram page, but it's really important with this podcast today to get to this place that to find your innocence, to really find that innocent child in you and the innocent adult and realize that the stuff that you did that you weren't proud of didn't come from your authentic self. It came from your reactive self. And you can go back and see, hear, love, and support that reactive self and bring them into your authentic self. That's what I got to say about that. We'll see you next time. So that's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. And if the Anxiety Rx podcast resonates with you, consider getting my book. Also, coincidentally, called Anxiety Rx. Or you can follow me on any of the social media platforms at The Anxiety MD or my website, www.theanxietymd.com. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you the next time on the Anxiety Rx podcast.